Hello, I'm Will Stein and welcome to Geography Island Jams. This podcast is in the same style as the BBC Radio 4 Desert Island Disc series, whereby each episode I ask my interviewee what eight songs, book and luxury item they would want to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. For rights reasons, the music has not been included in the podcast. You can find links to the eight songs on the LSE Geography and Environment website. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Geography and Jams. Joining with me today, I have the Geography and Environment Undergraduate Coordinator, Martha Clark. Whilst Martha was born in Newcastle upon Tyne in the north of England, she spent most of her life growing up in Cardiff. So it's without a doubt that Martha is a very proud Welsh citizen. Before coming to the LSE, Martha did her undergraduate degree in politics and international relations at Cardiff University. Not venturing too far from academia, in 2019, Martha joined the LSE as the undergraduate coordinator. In this position, Martha is responsible for coordinating essay submissions, exam grade distribution, and much, much more. As of this academic year, Martha is also a student at the LSE, studying a master's in gender, media, and culture. Whilst Martha may seem to have her hands full with her LSE life, she somehow manages to be as active on the outside. Martha has hosted two, two charity balls for Rape Crisis England and Wales, published four poems, she is editor and events organiser in Poets Verses, and is part of Literacy Kitchen Creative Writing Group, where she's trying to develop her own novel. So, welcome Martha. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I thought I'd start by asking you about the undergraduate coordinator position. So, you started in September 2019. I remember when you joined, I think was it your third day we did the escape room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we were testing out the escape rooms and then, yeah, do you want to say what happened? Yeah, so um, literally like my third day in the job and I was told that we were going to test out escape rooms and we got put in this room where everybody was put in like a kind of prison but I was put in um, a thing that was like locked my head and my hands in it and I scared the life out of Will when I moved because he hadn't realised that it was a real person. Oh, it was terrifying. I just saw the silhouette and then... I just saw Martha, oh, I didn't know it was Martha, but I just saw his head <laughs> go up and look at me. And, um, yeah, I know, that was quite fun. But the the position itself, yes, yeah, so you've done it for over a year now. Yeah. Um, what do you think you find the most challenging part of the position? Um, I would say the most challenging part of the position is that there's really busy periods and really quiet periods. So it's it can sometimes be a bit of a shock going from one to the other. I remember this year after the um, summer exams, then just one day, there was just no emails coming in and I didn't have anything in my calendar and I was just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Because I've just been flat out for so long. Um, so that's probably quite a challenge just because I'm, I'm kind of like a person who kind of thrives off just always being on the go. So, that, But those times are quite like um, rare, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always finding something to keep me busy. Mm-hmm. And then what would you say are the favourite parts of the role? Um, I really like, this is going to sound really, um, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but I really like um, working with like spreadsheets and things like that. I love um, kind of the challenge of working those things out and um, making them all look really pretty. <laughs> um, and also I just love the fact that I get to work with students because um, during my undergraduate degree, I just, I sort of, I sort of didn't feel that connected to my university. Whereas in LSE, there's definitely that 
strong connection. Mm. At least, like, that's what I feel. And I just really think that's such a lovely environment to be in. Mm. And um, as you just said, you, this role you work, uh, lots of students. Is there anything you wish students would do more? <laughs> um, I guess just... Um, Sometimes I guess students don't reach out uh, when, like, as soon as they need help, um, and sometimes things can spiral out of control. Whereas, like, you know, there's so many people in the department, like myself, departmental tutor, academic mentor, and um, we're all there to help them. And I just, yeah, I wish we could kind of intervene sooner, um, if if that if that's possible. <laughs> sure. And um, now moving on to the music, can you tell me about the first song you're going to be taking with you? Yeah, so the first song I'm going to take with me is Paul Weller, Wildwood. And I chose this song because when I was a baby, apparently it was the only thing that would get me to go to sleep when I was being fussy. <laughs> um, so my dad said he has so many memories of me as a child, just oh, as a baby, not sleeping. And he would literally just pick me up, like uh, when I was small enough to fit in like one arm, and he would just put the song on and apparently I would just flat out fall asleep so I literally still listen to that song all the time. <laughs> so as well as being staff at the LSE as of this year for now a student doing a master's in gender, media and culture. So how has it been experiencing the other side of LSE life? Um, it's been quite interesting and I think this year in particular in, in particular because it's obviously been a really weird term and we've never had a Michaelmas term like it and so I feel like I'm in a kind of quite unique position as a staff member and a student as well to kind of see both sides of it so when students are giving us feedback about the issues with hybrid teaching I can empathise with them because I have experienced the same issues because I've been doing hybrid teaching like from their point of view as well um, and then also from the student point of view I think Sometimes I can give information to my fellow students that I know about because I'm a staff member and they perhaps don't know where to find the information. Um, so I feel like that's like quite a unique position to be in. So as I said, your master's in gender, media and culture. What kind of stuff do you cover in that? So this first semester I've just done two uh, courses. So one of them has been kind of an introduction to looking at media and culture as well um, from a gendered perspective and then the other one has been an introduction to gender theory and we've learnt about so much already. <laughs> um, I really feel like my kind of what I can see in the world has completely transformed and um, we, we learn about you know all sorts of things like that. Honestly I think gender theory is so much bigger than I ever thought. We talk about, you know, intersections of other inequalities and how people experience these like, forms of oppression. Um, and I found it particularly interesting looking at that through like media and culture because I think I was aware of a lot of the issues before. I just feel like I've delved a lot deeper into them and kind of I've had the opportunity to understand those issues a bit better. Mm. So we're now moving on to your second piece of music. Okay, so this song is Shakespeare's sister, Stay. Um, it just reminds me so much of my mum. And recently it was her birthday and we were all in the car. We went out for dinner 
and we just literally sang our hearts out to this song. Um, and I remember when I first kind of, like my first time I heard it was when Cher Lloyd played it on the X Factor. And my mum was like, oh my gosh, this is my favourite song when I was in school. And we listened to it for about a week. And yeah, it's just sort of become like our song since then. So, yeah. So now, um, a little bit more LSE. So now, as well as being a staff member, a student, you're also a safe contact. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about what it means to be a safe contact? Yeah, so um, LSE safe contacts are kind of a first point of call for anybody who has experienced bullying, harassment or sexual violence and they can come to a safe contact like myself or any of the others listed on the website and they can disclose what's happened and we can kind of point them into the right direction for you know, resources or support services and give them information about any next steps that they may want to take. Um, and then we can also help them with reporting that to the school, um, which they can do anonymously or as an identified person. So what kind of things do you do when training for that role? So we've done quite a bit of training already. We've, um, I've done some specific sexual violence training and also like kind of the procedural side of things. So um, kind of what is expected of us when we're kind of helping a student with a report and what information we need to give them and um, kind of um, the legal side of things as well. So if there's like a particularly um, tricky case that comes forward, like we know who to speak to to get some more information. Um, and yeah, and then we've also got um, support groups. So we kind of meet up quite regularly and just discuss if we've had any disclosures and how we feel and how we're looking after our well-being and kind of share advice with each other on how to look after yourself because when you are doing a role like this almost like the most important thing is to look after your well-being as well because if you if your well-being isn't great then you can't help somebody mm. else um and then coming up we have loads of different training so we're going to be able to kind of be ready to receive many more types of um, disclosures. So what um, what would you just say to someone who's had something happen to them but they're not quite sure who to go to or they might not be as comfortable to approach someone at this moment? So that would just be, that's kind of the main thing that we're there for. Um, it's just to give them the information that they need um, and it's about kind of empowering them to make the decisions that they want to make. So, you know, we can talk to them about um, reporting it to the school and um, reporting it to the police if, if that's necessary and kind of what steps they may need to take if, if that's something that they want to do. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just about empowering the person with the information that they need um, so that they can make that decision, really. Brilliant. So now moving on to your next piece of music can you tell me about song number three yeah so song number three is dexy's midnight runners come on eileen and <laughs> i think this is like one of my favorite songs because every time it comes on i'm just taken to center parks where i go every year with my family 
usually to celebrate my nan's birthday. Unfortunately, we weren't able to go this year. Um, but this is sort of the song that we put on, you know, on that first night where we've all got together and we haven't seen each other for ages and we'll be in the games room where there's like a pool table and stuff. We'll put the song on and we'll all just have a dance and a sing and um, it's just like probably my happy place like every time we get together really not just in the centre park <laughs> the song comes on and we all have a dance and <laughs> it's just filled with so many happy memories <laughs> yeah, it is a great song <laughs> so as I said you've spent most of your life growing up in Cardiff how does Cardiff compare to living in London? well they are quite different <laughs> um, Cardiff is quite a small city for someone who has lived in London as well, um, obviously people who've lived elsewhere might think Cardiff's a really big city. Um, everywhere is really close in Cardiff, so you know everything that you need. You can either walk kind of ten minutes down the road or get a quick 10-15 minute bus, train, drive, whatever, into the city centre where basically everything is. Um, whereas in London, it's more like you've got really quick transport that comes in like one minute um, but it could take you a long time because you could travel to the other side of the city which is probably like travelling you know to another city from Cardiff mm. um, but the transport is so much better in London in Cardiff you know I, I could be waiting like half an hour to get on a bus or a train really? yeah it's um, once you've lived in London that is really hard to be patient <laughs> with <laughs> Um yeah, and there's kind of that thing in Cardiff where, you know, you, you know a lot of people who are around in your area. And so, you know, if you go to the pub, you're probably going to bump into somebody that you know. Um, whereas there's less of that in London, although it definitely does happen still. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have a favourite place in Cardiff? I mean, probably my favourite place in Cardiff is just this old grotty pub that's in the village that I live in. Um, just probably because of all the memories that's associated there and um it's so easy for everybody to get to it's really central and so like no matter the weather really we just head there <laughs> so obviously um living in Cardiff you have access to all the the Welsh terrain you said that during lockdown you had quite the experience climbing Snowdonia yes <laughs> can you tell me about that yeah sure so there's absolutely loads of really nice walks that are really close to Cardiff, like about, you know, an hour, 45 minute drive. And so we were doing loads of those over lockdown. And the our most favourite spot is Penavan, which if you ask any Welsh person, they've probably climbed it. So um, we climbed that for sunrise this one day. And it's only like 45 minutes to an hour to get to the top. So by the time we were walking up it, it was kind of already starting to get light so we didn't need torches or anything so when we went to Snowdonia we thought do you know what let's get to the top for sunrise because that's going to be incredible so I'll allow four hours for us to get to the top of this mountain and that is quite different to just an hour <laughs> and um We've never climbed Snowdonia before, so we set off at 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. I'm thinking it's going to take us four hours to get to the top. So we're walking along, and it's fine at first because there's a path, and it's, you know, really easy to follow. And then you start kind of really getting to the uphill bit. The path disappears, and you're kind of scrambling to the top. <laughs> and it's pitch black. Like, we can't see anything. All we can see is the little circle of light we've got on our little torch. And so, yeah, we're scrambling to the top. 
and we get to the top in an hour and 20 minutes, <laughs> probably because of all the adrenaline that was kind of pumping, because I thought I was going to die so many times. I thought, I'm going to slip, I'm going to fall, and no one's <laughs> going to find me. So you got up well before sunrise. <laughs> yeah, we got up so early. So we got to the top, and it was 20 past five in the morning. Um, and I was like, what are we going to do? Because sunrise isn't for, I think sunrise was, um, or was it sunrise? It was, it was about an hour and 40 minutes away mm. and I was like I don't know what to do it was so cold wet rainy I was like we're just gonna have to start walking back down so we're walking back down for an hour before it starts to get light <laughs> and then eventually we can see a little bit and then um we got down to the bottom I think we did the whole thing in five hours and the recommended time is six hours <laughs> so that's how like fast we were going just from pure adrenaline um, and we got to the bottom and I was like, I can't believe that we survived. <laughs> and missed all the views as well. Mm, so that's the whole reason you go for the views. I know. It was it was a, it was a faux pas for sure. Oh, that is terrifying. No, I, I I get freaked out by that in daylight, let alone yeah. not being able to see a thing. I think I cried about twelve times. <laughs> <laughs> going up, going down, both sides. Going up. As soon as the sun came up, I was like a different person. I was literally like trotting down had a bounce in my step. I was like, oh my god, this is so much fun, forgetting that like about two hours before I was crying, thinking, <laughs> I'm gonna die. <laughs> so now your fourth song. Can you let me know what it is and any reasons why you're taking it with you? Yeah, so my fourth song is Jeff Buckley, Lover You Should Have Come Over. So my dad introduced me to this song. Um Sometimes he likes to take us on some musical educational kind of uh, sessions and this was one of the songs because he was kind of asking me what music I liked and um, yeah, I remember him playing it for me in the car and I just absolutely fell in love with it the moment I heard it and quite often we'll just listen to it on repeat. <laughs> so I remember when we met, one of the first topics we pondered over was our love of bulls. Of course, the type I mean where you dress up, you eat, drink, and have a dance. So yes, you've organised uh, two balls. Can you tell me a bit more about uh, how they came about and what they were for? Yeah, so I organised two charity balls for Rape Crisis England and Wales. One was in February 2019 and the other one was in February 2020, right before all the coronavirus stuff. And um, I basically decided to run them because when I was an undergraduate student I um, was part of quite a lot of like groups and societies and we were kind of doing a lot of work about um, kind of violence against women and um, when I left Cardiff University then I felt like all that kind of the kind of network that I had to organise all these events just disappeared and I really was struggling to kind of get to grips with that because I still wanted to make a difference and raise mm. awareness. So I spoke to um, a friend and she kind of, she's a fundraiser for a local charity. So she was like, you know, you could organise a charity ball. And I was like, obviously not. How am I supposed to do that as an individual person? But then I spoke to a really close friend of mine um, and she was like, you have to do it. I was like, how am I going to do that? She was like, let's just, let's just plan. So we got our notebooks out. Um, we had a few like meetings where we wrote down ideas and kind of action plans. And then I just went with it. And somehow this event came together. 
and my first one was really successful so everybody at the end was like you have to do this again next year and so I took a few months where I didn't think about events at all and then I just had this idea and I was like okay well I'm doing another one and <laughs> yeah that just all sort of happened. And I remember it was really creative I was lucky enough to go to the the second ball and it was on the leap year. Yeah. And I remember you had all the uh, you've got to remind me of the charity themed games that was from the leap year themed games yeah so we had um, guess the name of the frog <laughs> um, or, or actually I think it was um, just name the frog and the best name one mm. and um, also guess the sweets in the jar and the jar was filled with like frog sweets um, <laughs> very frog themed yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after organising too you, you've definitely had the experience of Bull planning. What would you say is your biggest grievance from organising a bull? Um, I think probably the biggest grievance is getting people to buy the tickets because a lot of people will say to you, oh yeah, I'm coming, and then they won't buy a ticket <laughs> until like the week before. And as somebody who's organising it, I kind of need to have details finalised. And as somebody who's a little bit um, panicky about when things aren't organised, um, that's quite challenging for me because I just need to know final numbers so that I can finalise the seating plan and, you know, liaise with the venue and kind of get ev everything basically sorted beforehand because, I mean, this year I remember changes happening on the day and I was just, I was at the hotel um, in the morning and I was speaking to the person, she was like, I haven't printed out the event cards or finalised the seating plan because there's probably been changes and I was like, no, there's no changes, and then, like, just before I left, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a change, and she was like, I knew there would be, and she was so calm and collected about it, but mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's, like, the end of the world, but, <laughs> yeah, it's all fine. Once the event starts, I, I kind of change, and I'm like, okay, relax now. <laughs> and what about the opposite? What, what would you say is your best moment from across the two events? Oh, wow, um... I feel like I've just had such a great time at both events um, and I think considering what the events are raising awareness for that that sounds like like that shouldn't be a fun event but actually it really is because I think we kind of get all of the kind of difficult stuff out the way at the beginning mm. um, so the first year I kind of gave a speech and read a poem and then um, I had two more speakers after that and then this year we watched a series of films um, and um, they, they were quite challenging some of those films but then kind of once you've done that it's straight into the food and everybody just sort of lit the mood lifts, mm. everybody's buying raffle tickets <laughs> and and then everybody's just spirits are lifted so I think definitely the best moments is kind of after all the speeches when you're going around the room selling the tickets and the raffle tickets and speaking to all the people on the tables that have you know come all that way and you know pay, paid for a ticket and just kind of supporting you in like the best way possible really. <laughs> so now moving on to song number five can you tell me what it is? Yeah so this is Florence and the Machine You've Got the Love. I think this is my number one favourite song on the planet. Um, so my friend introduced me to Florence and the Machine when we were in school um, and we went to go and see her um, in the Motorpoint Arena in Cardiff 
and it was just like so much fun. My friend caught Florence's drumstick, no. um, or the band's drumstick. Yeah, so she still got that, and oh, and I've fun. seen her like so many times since then, and I've seen her with so many different people because I think she's one of those people that I don't know many like friends and stuff who would go and see her without kind of me suggesting it or my friends suggesting it, and she's just one of the best people to go and see live. Like everybody who's there just are so friendly. They just there to enjoy the music and feel Florence's good vibes and. Oh, I mean, last time I saw it was um, sep- uh, summer 2019, and that was in British Summertime Festival. Oh, really? And, yeah, it's just, oh, such an incredible experience. Can't wait to see her again. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea you were such a fan. Yeah. <laughs> but then she is great. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're now moving on to your writing life. So, you're the editor and events organiser for Poets Versus. You've also published four poems and thinking about writing a novel. There's quite a bit to uh, um, talk about, but I think I'll start with what first got you into writing. Um, so I think as a child, I um, if I couldn't express something, I usually wrote it down in a letter, um, which sometimes me and my family joke about. Like, if somebody's upset somebody, I'll be like, you'll hear from me in <laughs> two to three weeks in a letter, <laughs> which obviously I don't do anymore, but I did as a child. Um, <laughs> And then kind of when I went through school, I just never felt like I um, wrote in the way that you were supposed to in English. I, I never really felt like I understood the things that we kind of went through in English. So I, I did stop for a long time. And um, I kind of started actually for my charity ball. So I kind of wrote a poem. I was just on a walk one day and I just, this poem kind of just like came to me and I just had to write it down. Um, I can't really explain that feeling, but it was just like, I, I feel like I really need to write this down. And I did. Mm. And I wasn't sure when I first wrote it and obviously edited it and things, if I was actually going to have the courage to read it at my ball. But I decided I was just going to do it. <laughs> and um, it went down really well. And uh, one of my dad's friends kind of came up to me and she's a writer. And she was like, you are a writer. That That was a really good poem. And like I don't it would be such a shame if you stopped there um and so I kind of thought about what she said and how much I enjoyed writing the poem and the whole process of it and um just kind of kept going then and then um I just found that it was a really healing practice for me and like even though half this well more than half the stuff I write I'll never show anybody um but some stuff I I write and I think well I'll just submit it you know, to this thing that I see and then it gets accepted and um, and then it's like this crazy thing that something you've written is out in the world. <laughs> so yeah, you've had four poems published. So how, how did that happen? So as you said, you submit it and see what happens. Yeah, so um, as I kind of got more interested in writing, I started kind of seeking out writing communities um, online, on social media mainly. So I found this one kind of global writing group called For Women Who Roar and their focus is really writing for healing and telling women's stories and they were after uh, kind of either short pieces or poems for um, uh, an ebook on poetry and I just kind of asked my family like should I submit that poem that I read at the ball because I think it's perfect for this book and they were like yeah do it um, 
didn't expect anything to come back from that but I got it I got accepted and I was in in the book and I was published I think it was a year ago yesterday they published it that's so exciting yeah and so then after that I kind of thought oh well maybe I'll publish some more stuff so I kept writing and then I found Poets Versus um, on Twitter and I followed them and I kind of got involved in their event which um, had to go online because of coronavirus and yeah I got accepted there and then yeah I've just found other places who kind of align with what I want my poetry to achieve really. So now moving on to song number six. Yeah so song number six is Ed Sheeran thinking out loud. Um, I just I, I really like Ed Sheeran <laughs> um, and I really like this song as well. I really, I think I would love it to be my wedding song. Um, as cringy as that is. And um, I went to see Ed Sheeran in Paris and um, just had like such an amazing time there. Like I've, I've never been to a concert abroad or anything. So that's also going to be kind of one of those special memories that I take with me. <laughs> so those that know you know that as well as being proud to be Welsh, you're proud to be vegan. Do you have a favourite vegan meal? Yeah, I think probably my favourite vegan meal is a fake cheeseburger and chips. I mean, I'm just obsessed with it. And I, I didn't even like cheeseburgers like before when I ate meat or anything. I literally hated them. I wouldn't go anywhere near them. <laughs> but the vegan ones, I love. I could literally eat them every day. <laughs> <laughs> No, they are good. Anything with chips gets me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, would that question change if you had to cook the meal? Yeah, so if I had to cook the meal, it would be curry every single time. Mm. Um, I, I can't even tell you how many curries I've had over lockdown. And what I love about it is that every time you cook a curry, it's completely different. So even if you kind of try and recreate the same curry, it's always slightly different. And um. I love it. It's so easy to cook a curry as well. I think before I was vegan, I thought it was this really difficult dish to cook and I'd never cooked one before and then made a few vegan curries because it's just such an easy vegan dish. And I'm just like, whole whole world's been opened. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think your survival skills with food as well would shape up to you being on the island? Do you think you'd survive well? I think I would be quite resourceful with what was there, um, and also, you know, I, as a vegan, I feel like it'll be easier to find food because there be, just there might be some somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I, I would get, I would survive. I mean, I did cheap of Edinburgh, bronze and there silver. You You're basically a, a yeah, yeah, expert. <laughs> exactly. And what about being on your own? Do you think you'd enjoy it having the island to yourself, or do you think you'd miss human company? Uh, I definitely miss my family so much, um, but I'm I'm okay at being on my own. I think I I think I've probably gotten more used to it over lockdown. Um, even though I've been like surrounded by my family twenty four seven, um, I feel like my pace of life has slowed down so much, and I've kind of gotten used to that, and actually quite quite enjoy it. I mean, I think yeah. Your seventh song. Let me know what it is. Yeah, so this one's a really different one to all the other ones, but it's um, Chasing Status, No Problem. Um, I should have, me and my sisters just absolutely love it. It's one of our songs that we kind of put on and we go absolutely crazy. And I've seen Chasing Status loads as well. And um, the last time I went was at SW4 in Clapham. And 
me and my two sisters. It was the first time my little sister came with me and my older sister. And um, we just, you know, we did our mental dancing, just like throwing limbs everywhere. <laughs> and um, we had you know, these people behind us being like, oh, those three don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> and we just, we loved that because we were like, yeah, we don't. We're having a great time. <laughs> no one else is dancing like we are in this audience. <laughs> oh, that's so much fun. <laughs> So now on the last few questions now, so um, you've been at LSE for a year and a quarter, I believe, is that yeah. right? Yeah. What would you say is your favourite moment so far, um, across everything? Oh, that's such a difficult thing to say. Um, I'd say just like my first week on the job, everybody was so lovely and welcoming, because obviously I moved cities as well, I moved from Cardiff to London and I... I was really scared because um, I stayed in Cardiff for uni and um, I just never really made a move like that before and everybody was just so nice like I absolutely loved everybody just kind of saying hello like, trying to get to know me and just made me feel so at ease and I think I've, I'll just always be grateful for that because I think probably my life now would be so different if I, if I came in and had this horrible experience with um, where I worked but absolutely love working at LSE. <laughs> and what would you say is your favourite thing about being part of the LSE? Um, I think like I said earlier, the community. I think I think probably geography and environment do it really, really well where we I really do feel part of this like community and part of the department and I think, you know, before coronavirus like we had so many events on offer and it was a really nice chance to speak to people and get to know the people that you know, we're kind of working with like staff and students and I just think that's incredible because I, I never had anything like that for my undergraduate and I just think it's so important. So now moving on to your eighth and final song, can you tell me what it is? Yeah, so this is a lockdown song and um, it's Lennon Stella Saved, which is a song from Nashville, which is a TV program that is really old, but for some reason my older sister's like, should we just watch this like after work? And we were like, yeah, sure, whatever. And we just got hooked. We watched the whole thing over, like, peak lockdown when there was nothing else to do. How many series? It's, like, six series. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, like, 45-minute episodes wow, as well. that's a lot of, a lot of time. <laughs> it just became part of my lockdown life. And I was really gutted when it ended as well. Even though I was kind of losing the storyline towards the end, I was like, this is a bit silly. It's just... I'm always going to remember, I've got a Nashville playlist on my phone now, and so like when I'm like getting down or whatever, I'm like, go listen to Nashville, make me feel better, and reminds me of all that time that I spent with my sisters. <laughs> As you know, you're allowed to take with you the Bible, the beverage reports, and a book of your choice. What is the book you'll be taking with you? So I've chosen The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. I think that's quite a big book, so... <laughs> and. I, I was quite confused at the start, so I feel like I could read it a couple of times and it would, you know, take up a lot of time. But also, you know, Margaret Atwood is one of my favourite authors and it's a story about escaping this dystopian America, so I feel like it'll just give me that hope that I can escape the desert island. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And now your luxury item. So my luxury item is going to be a deck of cards, but with photos of my family on it instead of, um, <laughs> instead of you know, the spades and stuff. Because it will keep me entertained and just remind me to keep fighting to see my family again. 
I think that is cheating a bit, but you know, <laughs> we'll let that one, we'll let it slide. Okay. And then finally, your quote of choice. Yeah, so uh, Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. So that's something that I'm really trying to live by at the minute, um, especially like studying my gender degree, I feel like you know, my perspective has changed so much just doing like two half units and I've got so much more to learn and I think um I think just keep doing the best you can until you have more knowledge and skills and I feel like on a desert island it would be the same thing. Like keep trying to escape and you'll you'll figure things out on the way until eventually you can. <laughs> Brilliant. Well Martha, thank you very much for telling me about your drug trial and jams. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you.